you know, if they're not eating foods that contain those um, sorts of nutrients or supplementing adequately, then they might not be feeling so good. And then once they go back on eating, you know, animal products, they might be feeling great again. And that sort of reaffirms the belief that, oh, you can't be healthy on a vegan diet. Hello friends, welcome back to the Vegan Body Coach Podcast. I'm your host Jackson Burden. If you're new around here, I'm a personal trainer, nutrition coach and gym owner here in Auckland, New Zealand. And I put out this podcast specifically to cover a whole bunch of topics in relation to health and fitness, nutrition, training, um, all with a bit more of an evidence-based lens and from a rational perspective. I recently had the pleasure of popping back over to Melbourne uh, to catch up with a few people hit up a festival, and while I was there, I managed to sit down with a registered dietitian in Melbourne named Melissa Delia. And Melissa runs a Instagram page and nutrition business titled Sprout Nutrition. And recently she's been putting out some pretty cool content around achieving a balanced diet. And it had me thinking around different people that I've run into over the years and of course you've likely known people or heard of even celebrities like this who have chosen a plant-based or a vegan diet for whatever reason and then at some point decided to go back to consuming animal products due to health reasons. They couldn't achieve balance in their diet, they had deficiencies, they didn't feel good and when introducing animal products again, just like that, they felt great and you know they come to the conclusion then that you know plant-based diets are not healthy for humans so i wanted to cover this topic in a little more detail with mel and sort of hear her viewpoints on things and voice a few of my own as well so i'm not going to ramble on any longer we're going to jump straight into this one it is a really fun episode um there's a fair bit of info around micronutrients vitamins minerals so definitely tune in for that stuff so that you can develop the most balanced diet you can and enhance your longevity, your health span, your performance in the gym by ensuring that your diet is covering all of your bases. So here's episode 47 with Melissa Delia. Okay, Melissa. Hey, so welcome, first of all, to the Vegan Body Coach podcast. Um, really happy to have a sit down chat with you. As I mentioned to you before, it's been a long time since I've actually done a seated podcast in person and the last time actually not the last time but when I initially started the podcast was in Melbourne and I flew over here in 2020 early 2020 right before the the pandemic and I did a bunch of podcasts with various people here in Melbourne um but yeah it's been yeah basically three years almost since then um and now we're up to this is episode 47 so it's awesome to be back awesome to have you on the podcast um and I guess a, a great way to start this thing is for maybe you to give us a bit of an intro into who you are and like kind of how you got into the nutrition space. I'm actually interested in kind of where that kind of career choice came in for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first you, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. Really excited to be here today. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Melissa and I'm a dietitian based here in Melbourne and I specialize in vegan plant-based diets um, as well as working in the gut health space, so irritable bowel syndrome as well um, and a various host of other women's health conditions too. 
Um, so I guess my, my journey really started um, with nutrition at quite a young age. Um, when um, I was a bit younger, I was on the, I guess, overweight sort of side and I was expressing to my mum that I wanted to lose weight. So she took me to see a dietitian because she wanted me to do it in a healthy way. Um, and after that first consultation, I loved what the dietitian was doing. I thought it was so incredibly interesting. And I said to my mum from there, I want to be a dietitian when I'm older. This is what I would like to do. Um, so from there, you know, in high school, I tailored my subjects towards the nutrition and science sort of side of things. Um, and then I guess when I was around the age of 17, sort of 18, I myself t- was developing a lot of gut issues, irritable bowel. And um, from that, you know, a lot of adverse health effects sort of came up and I saw a dietitian and she helped me to get over that and, and figure out what was going on. So that just reaffirmed my a belief in nutrition and mm. you know sort of that career path that I wanted to go down as well so that's really what led me to go down the, the nutrition way I suppose yeah it's cool so all of that's really come from um I guess a personal experience that you've had like you've really actually been able to have you've had to deal with some kind of obstacle in the past with the nutrition and dietetics has helped you or dietitians have helped you um and it kind of sparked that interest for yourself which is really cool I'm interested to hear um, when was the, the first time you saw a dietitian? Like, how old were you at that point? I believe I was 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. And do you mind sharing how they actually helped you at that time? Because, you know, you said you were dealing with some, some overweight yeah. um, issues and they really helped you through that. Yeah. And you had great success there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what was really good was she taught me about what my requirements were at that time so because obviously I was still growing she didn't talk about it from a restrictive point of view it was more just about okay you know you still need your calcium you still need your protein and everything like we need to make sure that you're prioritizing these sorts of nutrients right but teaching me about okay the portion sizes and maybe the bit more about the frequency of my treat foods because I was probably going a little bit overboard you know yeah, being yeah, at that totally. sort of age yeah um always wanting like a little bit of chocolate or ice cream yeah. that sort of thing so she taught it sort of taught me a bit more about balance and and the frequency of that yeah um like when to have certain foods and, and when not to um and i i thought it was really interesting particularly about the nutrient requirement that's what's what led me down that path really yeah yeah it's quite um i guess it's quite pertinent to this conversation because uh you know we're going to talk about you know achieving a balanced diet especially as a vegan or someone following a a more plant-focused diet um but even for people who aren't, and I'm assuming, I'm not too sure actually, but I'm assuming at that age you weren't eating plant-based? Or, no, okay, no, I so, wasn't. You know, so majority of the population and you in that same scenario, basically dealing with the fact that majority of the Western world are not eating any kind of a balanced diet, you know, because we're in this food environment that's just so conducive to overconsumption of, you know, highly processed, highly palatable foods, um, which is obviously, you know, what led you to that position as well for yourself and then kind of having someone to help you and teach you here's how you find balance i guess the sad thing is like the majority of the population it's going to be hard for them to get there because not everyone has access to a dietitian or Mm -hmm. has access to the education and they're really just going into the supermarket and grabbing the cheapest options which is usually those types of foods um and i feel like we're really doing i guess a disservice to the entire population by not making that more of a ingrained kind of like 
health education in our system of around like how do you achieve a balanced diet yet no one you know no one really knows they're all just going out there and eating what's out there you know absolutely it definitely is a a really big issue out there and i think we should acknowledge that there are definitely like areas even of um different foods that aren't available to you like some people live in what we'd consider a food desert sort of area where the closest supermarket might be like a 20 minute drive from them and that accessibility is also really difficult so not only is it the the sort of lack of education but also like how can they physically get these sorts of foods that they need to get yeah totally yeah yeah and it's it's a tricky one because obviously the the solution is not so much on the individual it's kind of more top down um so it is a a real tricky one to to come up against but i guess with this particular conversation um you know we're gonna i guess more so what i'd like to do is i guess help to educate people who are listening who are probably already you know have some level of privilege and access to foods and a variety of different foods at that um by nature of them listening to this podcast they're probably already in that camp so they probably have the opportunity to go out and make these really really good decisions for their health um but giving them some kind of, uh, you know, education and, and kind of understanding of how to do that properly, especially as a vegan or as a vegetarian or pescatarian or whatever it is, someone who's just reducing animal products, how can they do it in a, in a balanced way? And maybe to even, um, actually, before we do, where did plant-based eating come in for you, Melissa? Mm. So it sort of got introduced to me um, maybe, let's say, around 10 years ago, um, the concept. And um, it was more from an ethical perspective rather than like a health reason that I decided to make the change. I'd come across like a few documentaries and videos around um, the the ethical side of um, how animals are treated and the whole agricultural industry. Um, and I had wanted to go vegan for quite some time, but I was still pretty young and my parents were a little bit hesitant, obviously not really knowing too much about, you know, how to get the proper nutrients and stuff. So I gradually did it. Um, so, you know, first thing to go was sort of like red meat and then chicken and then the dairy and so on and so on. So I guess, um, in total, I've been vegan for about nine years now. Um, and yeah, I haven't, haven't looked back since then, but it definitely was from, getting education around the ethical side of things yeah amazing wow so you're like an og vegan nine years is pretty long yeah nine years it was very different back then yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah so i think you know majority of people i know it's kind of more like in the three to five year range of you know being vegan but nine years is pretty long time yeah that's amazing yeah the uh, food selection wasn't quite as good yeah yeah, Yeah, yeah and and your family were supportive of that decision and initially, not really, um, but once they sort of saw like, okay, she's still eating and, you know, yeah. she's the foods that she's eating isn't really that different from what we're eating and it's not a, as hard, um, they, they were on board with it yeah. and now it's just normal. Like, they don't even think about it. It's yeah. just like second nature. Yeah, totally. Well, maybe we can circle back to, you know, that around um, how you kind of achieved, you know, a certain, well, a nutrient leap a nutrient adequate diet, you know, in those early days. Mm-hmm. But maybe as, as we go into this conversation, um, you know, one of the big things that we see relatively often in the media is like, you know, pretty big name celebrities who have done veganism for a certain amount of time or, you know, maybe we should say they've, they've been plant-based um, and they've gone back on that and brought some animal products back into their diet, usually because they feel like, 
they're not healthy without them or they're having some kind of health complications and they're, you know, struggling to get nutrients and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and we all see it, but I'm wondering if you can speak to whether a plant-based diet or a plant-exclusive diet um, can actually be nutriently you know, adequate for humans and can humans actually be healthy uh, on a plant-exclusive diet? Like, are these people actually... Um, are there, I guess, are there issues warranted with regards to getting nutrients or, you know, are they just not maybe trying hard enough or, you know, what, what do you think on that? I think it's absolutely possible to eat a plant exclusive diet and be healthy, but um, we should acknowledge that it might require a bit more planning and Mm. education on exactly how to do that, which I suppose we'll get into in a bit more detail. Um, uh, It's got hard to say why people go back on to you know eating animal products again i guess it's individual circumstances but some reasons that i've seen is mainly due to lack of education around the nutrients required so everyone knows about protein and iron like they're the two most commonly sort of spoken about nutrients but what people don't um really pay much attention to is the micronutrients um and and the vitamins and minerals that sort of thing Mm. um that you might require and you know if they're not eating foods that contain those um, sorts of nutrients or supplementing adequately, then they might not be feeling so good. And then once they go back on eating, you know, animal products, they might be feeling great again. And that sort of reaffirms the belief that, oh, you can't Mm. be healthy on a vegan diet. Right. Um, But it absolutely is appropriate and you can be healthy on a vegan diet. Um, You know, when we look at some of the, the literature and the studies around what is healthy and what are the best sort of dietary patterns to be eating the Mediterranean diet does come up quite a bit Mm. and that is a bit of a a plant focused sort of diet so even if you're not a hundred percent vegan or plant-based yet even by just incorporating more plant-based foods into your diet you're still going to be getting those those health benefits and the reduced risk of those chronic diseases Mm. yeah what do you think it is about you know with these certain individuals if they bring you know some kind of animal products back into their diet and suddenly they start feeling good again is it just because of, of the ease of access of those nutrients from specific animal products? Yeah, um, I think that can play a role because, um, for example, iron, right? Let's take that as an example. The absorption rates of iron are a lot higher mm. in animal products. So you don't need to eat as much as what you'd need to plant foods yeah um because the absorption rates are are lower so i guess that ease of access and like the convenience of it um people don't have to think about it so much and and they're already feeling better um like another couple of nutrients i can think of is sort of like you know you're around your omega-3s and your iodine that people don't really consider too much and once you go back to like eating fish and dairy products you're automatically getting that so they're feeling better straight away but you can get them on a Mm. plant-based diet um it just requires a little bit of education on what foods yeah under that yeah and i definitely don't think it has to be um crazy complicated for people as well like i think it can be quite basic Mm. um because i guess yeah you run the risk of making it seem like a plant-based diet is is this really really hard thing to master like you have to you have to find balance or you're gonna you know you're gonna be deficient blah 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 and i think it can be quite quite simple and quite easy and to be honest transitioning to a to a a predominantly plant-based diet um will be a big upgrade 
for majority of the population who are currently you know consuming the standard western diet um just by including more plants you know absolutely but uh at the same time yeah it can come across as quite complicated like you have to hit your eye and you have to get your iodine it's like oh my god there's all these there's all these different nutrients um and you know we're gonna obviously jump into it and maybe provide some insight there but then maybe you know we can we can summarize at the end and try and make this as simple as possible for people to help them to you know know that hey look it's not um it is not going to have to be rocket science you don't have to know everything but there's probably just some of that initial education that's important for you did you get some of that education when you transitioned to veganism those early days I, I didn't actually because I didn't go to see a dietitian for that specific reason um, at the time. And when I was having the, the gut issues, I wasn't vegan as of yet. Um, so for me, it was really um, finding out a little bit more when I was doing my nutrition degree. That's where I probably found out the bulk of the information. And then through my own research as well, um, finding out about you know what are the key nutrients but you're definitely right it's not as difficult or it's not like this massive complex thing that Mm. needs to have meticulous planning around it's it's definitely quite some simple and easy things and once people know what they are and can do them that they'll be feeling great and they'll be doing really well on a plant-based diet yeah absolutely well maybe we can you know start by diving into maybe some of the signs symptoms of what maybe an unbalanced diet would actually feel like you know for for people who are listening maybe there's certain things that they're experiencing and and that's a light bulb moment for them to say oh maybe i'm maybe maybe i'm not quite getting everything into my diet here um so what are some of those indicators that an individual might need to put a little more planning into their meals yeah that's a really good question um i would say one of the the key sort of symptoms is that you're constantly feeling fatigued and tired despite getting enough sleep and enough rest um might be an indication that you're for example iron deficient zinc deficient even um if you're noticing um that like say you work out in the gym and your progress is declining and you're not lifting what you used to be lifting or can't run it as far as you used to run. Um, so there's a bit of a regression happening there. That's definitely a telltale sign that things are sort of going on. Mm. Um, as is, I would say, you know, hair and, and nail changes. If your nails are becoming pretty brittle, your hairs are falling out, could be a, a symptom of zinc deficiency. Um, the other one is if you're constantly bloated as well. It might be a bit of a sign that, you know, you're not eating quite the right balance of nutrients going on there may be a bit of underlying food intolerances there but definitely something that that is good to explore as well um and the other one i'll say is if you're getting sick a lot like sick quite easily might be a sign that your your immune system is down and and you're not um getting what you need to be getting um i think yeah those are probably like the main sort of things but you you will probably know as well like it's it won't be something that like you just you know wake up one day and you're like oh i might be deficient like you, you're definitely gonna feel the signs and symptoms first you're not gonna be feeling like yourself yeah yeah for sure i think that's yeah i think that's a good point is that you i guess there's the other side at the same time where people might just fe- think that everybody feels like that you know mm. that everybody feels constantly fatigued or um or maybe they just you know maybe they're just kind of put it down to oh, i'm just stressed at the moment or you know maybe i'm just not getting enough sleep but maybe there is some kind of underlying uh, imbalance there um what would be i guess the cornerstones from your perspective of a balanced diet like what does that even mean for you as a dietitian to help someone to be to achieve balance like what does balance even mean 
Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And I think what balance means is not just about having the right ratio of nutrients for your requirements, but also the mental side of things of having that aspect of food freedom and not feeling like you're restrained by low carbohydrate, high carbohydrate, um, fat, fat restricted diets, that sort of thing. Um, so it means having an adequate amount from each nutrient pathway, but not feeling like you're being put in a box that you have to eat no carbs, low carbs, or that you have to like completely cut out a certain food, like oils from your diet. I think mm. being vegan, it's also for some individuals, a bit of a, a pipeline into the wellness sort of thing. Like, you know, you sort of get your subsets, like your high carb, low fat, or like um, yeah. removing oils, that sort of thing, or your raw veganism either as well. Sorry, I should say. Yeah. I think that is not balanced. Those things are not healthy. If you're consuming like the right amounts of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds from your core food groups and having like your, your supplements and your, and your fortified foods, you, you'll likely be okay. That's what balance is to me and not um, restricting yourself and, and eating when you're, when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. For me personally, that, that's what I define balance as. Yeah, that's awesome because it's not just, it's just, it's not all just about the micronutrients mm. or the macros. It's actually like, do you have flexibility in your diet? Like, do you feel like you have freedom to consume what you want to consume that you're not completely, um, yeah, like you're saying, restricted and, you know, feeling like you're you're not actually enjoying the way you eat? And, yeah, I think that's a really good place to be. And, and a lot of these, like you're mentioning, a lot of these, I guess, camps or subsets that people are in ends up being um, quite on the extremes. I guess a, a balanced diet would be more so something that kind of sits in the middle. And obviously yeah. people would people would argue that you know veganism was already on the extreme end um however it's kind of it's kind of comes back to like well you know it depends what your class is extreme you know what i mean like uh if if not consuming animal products and contributing to you know animal suffering and forest deforestation and biodiversity loss etc is extreme then you know i think we need to redefine that word yeah, yeah, absolutely <laughs> um so yeah, so I really love that. So it's not just about the, the intricate stuff. Now, when you do look at, you know, finding balance, say, with, you know, clients in your practice, um, what are some of those, you know, those key areas that you do start to focus on when you are looking at a client's diet and going, okay, how do we achieve balance here? Is it we're just looking at some, you know, macronutrient ratios or are we diving deep into micronutrients? Are we looking at, like, you know, how do we build our plate? You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the, some of the, the keys and, and cornerstones that you kind of focus on with, with balance? Yeah, definitely a combination of, of all those aspects that you just mentioned, because it's not just about the macronutrient and micronutrient distribution there, so that is important. But what you mentioned about diversity, that's also super important in order to get to hit your target for those macro and micronutrients too like if you're just eating the same foods every single day you're not going to be getting all the nutrients that you need so having that flexibility to to be open and trying new things is really important definitely going through like you know portion sizes and you know it's sort of like we were speaking about about the plate model that Mm. sort of thing too being able to learn how to build a meal from the ground up and making sure that it's it's nutritionally balanced so that you're not really having to think and plan too much mm. ahead of time. Um, so I think all those sorts of aspects are, are really important when, when looking at balance. And I also look at people's relationship with food too. Um, like if they're like too scared to eat out on a weekend or they're too scared to um, include a little bit of chocolate here and there, I sort of like 
probe and push the boundaries. Like, okay, why is this? Where is this stemming from? Um, what do you think will happen if you consume these foods? Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's important to acknowledge like the, the mental side of things too because I really don't believe that you can't be balanced if you're like restricting something in some sort of way like to an excessive point yeah. of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like yeah. when I work with clients, you know, we, I work with a lot of fat loss clients and um, I'm very aware that it's important for us to work in those foods that they really do enjoy you know those those bits of chocolate that ice cream whatever it is that they love into their into mm. their day into the every day to ensure that they never are feeling fully restricted yes mm-hmm. there has to be some kind of restriction because you know we have a goal of yes, weight loss um, there needs to be we need to achieve the calorie deficit so we do have to pull back a little bit but like you're saying if we're just restricting everything that they love and i guess coming back to the idea of like you know, whenever you're in a phase like that with nutrition, you should be consuming in a pattern of eating that is somewhat like you're going to be doing after the diet ends as well. Yeah. You know, so it's not this massive shift, but it's a slight adjustment. And so you're practicing balance, as we're talking about, throughout a fat loss phase as you would practice it in a maintenance phase or, or whatever whatever else you're doing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like you're saying, the, the mental side can't be... Um, uh, understated either now when it comes to i guess a vegan diet what are some of the like if for listeners who are listening like what are some of the key nutrients of concern for them that they need to be focusing on to ensure that we are actually healthy you know th- these these people who are coming back from a plant-based diet in animal products again mm-hmm. what do you think they're actually missing yeah, absolutely. Great question. So I, as I said before, like we all sort of know about, you know, protein and iron, they're the two most common ones, but also calcium is really important as is, I'd say, zinc, your omega-3s, and then your lesser known sort of nutrients like your iodine and your selenium as well. Mm. And then of course, vitamin D um, too flows into that and, and your B12 as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah. Most, I think one of the most important ones is the B12, but I find people are usually pretty good. Um, with managing sort of, um, you know, B12 supplementation. But then I think you do have the odd one or two sort of clients who don't like to supplement. Um, And B12 is one of those key nutrients that you you absolutely have to supplement, even if you are eating foods that are fortified um, with it. So if the manufacturer has added their nutrient into that food, just because of the absorption rate, sometimes they're not, you can't be getting an adequate amount. That supplementation side of things is really important as well. So what you're alluding to is that like even if someone was consuming, you know, a couple of tablespoons of nutritional yeast each day and they Mm -hmm. were having like a a fortified plant milk that had B12 and maybe a couple of other things that wouldn't quite reach the, the... the daily yeah, kind of threshold that, that they need right. to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I would still be recommending a supplementation on top, and that can be you know oral, or you can get injections if yeah. you're finding that you're just not very good at taking the, yeah. the supplement. Every yeah, yeah, day. totally. Yeah, yeah I'm, I put my hand up on that one. I'm always forgetting. I actually, yeah. I made the habit of putting the B12 like pill bottle in my truck so it's like in the dash so when i get in in the morning i see it and i'm like all right gotta take my (laughs) gotta take my tablets you know Um, because otherwise yeah i do forget and i do have clients that um, i've worked with who have been vegan for a very long time and they've never supplemented and Mm -hmm. they're great they're fine but um you know i've always said to them hey look well who knows like for a lot of people, it, it takes a while for that B12 deficiency to yeah. actually take effect. 
so i'm like it's a pretty simple and relatively cost effective thing just to do and like have it as a safety net you know because the the downsides of not taking it are not really worth the risk no absolutely like b12 deficiency the the side effects are not you know <laughs> great to be dealing yeah, with you've yeah. got, you know your, your nerve damage and um your dna um sort of replication can be you know impaired and i can speak from personal experience because i made the mistake of at the start not supplementing and i was getting tingling hands and feet all the time and like a burning sensation wow and i got my b12 checked and it was just like bottom bottom down and i was eating fortified foods all the time so i can be the first one to put my hand up and say yep i stuffed up on that one very very early on um and i felt um better immediately after i had my b12 injections and i am terrible at remembering so i I actually get injections too oh cool Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no that's good i mean that's good to hear from someone who's actually had the experience of um you know the symptoms um yeah. which is very interesting i haven't actually spoken to anyone who's who's been through that so that's really cool you can you know be a, a walking talking advocate for b12 <laughs> do you know anything about the absorption with b12 uh, it's it's quite an interesting one that i've had a look into myself i don't know if you read much about it yeah it, it's a really tricky concept to explain and i'm probably not going to explain it very well um but essentially only certain amounts can be absorbed at, at one point in time so even if um the packet says it has like you know two thousand micrograms of it you're not actually getting all of that at, at one point mm. um so you know with certain um dosages of the supplementation like you might be only recommended to take it three times a week yeah because that's actually all that's required right. um which is why like the fortified foods don't quite work as well it's just like an, a, a huge amount and mm. your your body can only take in so much mm. at one point in time i think that's the most simplest yeah. way i can yeah. explain it uh, that's kind of how i um do it for clients as well like with with b12 basically from my own readings it seems like like i will recommend 100 mcgs per day of b12 but that times seven so a week that's 700 right but then the other recommendation is if you're only going to take a one weekly dose it's like 2000 mcg so Mm -hmm. it's like it doesn't it doesn't match it's like why are they taking 2000 when they should only be taking 700 Mm -hmm. but it's for that exact same reason you just mentioned it's like if you're taking more there's only a small percentage of of that that's actually being absorbed so um potentially little and often is actually a little bit better but then of course you you forget so yeah exactly so it's kind of like try to try to find a a method that works for you yeah Yeah. and an easy balance between the the two things but yeah i'd say that's that's definitely one of the the key nutrients to be wary of yeah yeah Yeah. so b12 is definitely one of those ones that you know the symptoms will will show themselves um you mentioned iron um that's another one where potentially people will feel that one is that right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah you'd feel that like fatigue weakness a lot of people say like difficulty concentrating difficulty actually like if they're reading like being able to read the entire page mm. um and if they're exercising probably feeling a little bit lightheaded like getting a little bit of those blackouts too yeah um and i think it's important to acknowledge that you know the requirements for vegans for iron is significantly higher it's about 1.8 times um, the amount if you're eating like a standard diet so for example if you're someone who's menstruating like and eating like an animal-based diet you need 18 milligrams of iron but as a vegan you need about 32 wow and that's huge like that's a lot of food in a day to be eating it's not impossible because usually the recommendation is like like just for omnivores it's like seven milligrams for guys and like 12 for ladies or something like that Mm -hmm. which is 
a huge difference to like you just mentioned like 28 or whatever mm-hmm. how would how would people go about achieving that amount because that is quite a, a tall task yeah and i think eating fortified foods really is the key there so for example like some cereals such as like wheat big special k the manufacturers will add iron into them yeah um choosing like your veggie burgers or your, your meat product replacements that actually have be, uh, iron added into them as well um and there's a couple of like you know plant yogurts and plant milks and things like that that might have a little bit of them in it depending on what brands that you're sort of going for but they can be a huge help mm. there is a couple protein powders on the market too so for those who do consume protein powder i always recommend that's fortified with iron because yeah. you're just doing yourself a, a a benefit or a service yeah, yeah, there totally. by getting two in one yeah it's just practical yeah totally yeah. and and the i guess the issue with iron is that the absorption because the iron from plants is what we call non-heme iron Correct. in animals yeah. heme iron and heme iron from animal products is absorbed to a greater percent than non-heme iron so it's just a case of trying to get more of those plant foods and mm-hmm. what would be some of like the the big hitters in terms of like whole plant foods that we could try and get for for iron for iron yeah so like your beans and your legumes like so you like your brown lentils chickpeas absolutely really good sources of iron mm. as well as your nuts and seeds in particular pumpkin seeds are a really good source of iron um so that's really good cool. and then you've got like your whole grains as well so like your whole grain breads and quinoa yeah um and then your dark leafy greens um it's like your kale and your, and your spinach and if you cook them it improves the absorption rates as well right. um and of course you've got like your tofu and, and stuff that has a little bit of iron in it as well yeah it seems like that's a, a great recommendation for a lot of foods in, in order to achieve that you know nutrient dense diet is to try to cook or soak or sprout mm-hmm. a lot of these grains um and seeds to help with the absorption is that right yeah Yeah. absolutely um some of these plants have a compound called phytates and phytates can sort of hinder the absorption of some nutrients iron being one of them and we found that when we can either cook or soak it it reduces how much phytate is in that that plant and therefore you're absorbing more of it so that's really good and I guess another thing that can help enhance absorption of iron-rich foods is eating something that's rich in vitamin C. I always like to say uh, iron and vitamin C are like best friends. They yeah. go hand in hand together. Um, so foods rich in vitamin C are essentially like your fruits and your vegetables. Yeah. So I guess on a plant-based diet, that, that's a benefit. Like if you're just eating, say, a steak, right, if you're eating a meat-eating diet, you're probably not going to get much vitamin C on the side um, if you're just, you know, having a, your, your plain yeah. old steak. But, yeah. you know, as a vegan, you tend to eat your vegetables and things like that people are pretty good so you're getting that vitamin c in yeah yeah that's awesome yeah it's a great tip and i've also um you know read um other tips around avoiding tea and coffee Mm. close to consuming a meal that's you know you're trying to enhance iron absorption because that can inhibit the absorption somewhat um so i think that's another good one as well as i can call like try you know keep that an hour or so away from a meal sure um Cool. So that's iron. That tends to be quite a big one. I speak, mm. especially for ladies, of course, when they're menstruating. You know that that becomes a, a much bigger um, area of concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving on, we've got calcium. Yeah, another big one that's quite often talked about. From your perspective and you know your understanding of of nutrition, how important is calcium and and this idea that you know without milk products you know you're not going to get your calcium and you're not going to have strong bones or you know you know especially for kids you know for you know this idea of like well can you raise kids vegan on a Mm plant-based diet um you know there's 
a lot of people saying that it can be done and i think even the dietetics association is saying that it can be done um but then of course there's a lot of people against it and so you know what's your view on on sort of uh calcium in the diet in regards to like bone health yeah calcium absolutely essential um vitamin or mineral i should say that that you we do need to be consuming in inadequate amounts and that amount does change depending on what age that you're at so essentially what happens um by the time that you're you're 20 you've reached your peak bone mass so your bones have absorbed all the calcium that that they can so you know that's why it's really important for kids to be getting the correct amount from there it's only bone breakdown after that so super super essential and it's not just essential for bone health too it's essential for you know the the contractility or rhythm of your heart for hormone health for for your your health of your blood as well so it's Mm. not just from a bone perspective but it's absolutely possible and and quite easy now to get enough calcium on a plant-based diet it can be done and i'd say probably the easiest way is choosing calcium fortified products like your milks and your yogurts and it's wonderful to see that all the options that are out there now that didn't exist 10 years ago yeah so um so i guess a a good little tip is if you're looking at the the back of a packet of like a soy milk or an almond milk um you want to make sure it's got at least 120 milligrams of calcium per 100 mil of product that's cool um so that's a really good guideline to look out for same thing with with your plant yogurts um so your soy yogurt or your almond yogurt but outside of the the fortified foods you know you can also get it from calcium set tofu so that the water that the the tofu actually sits in can either be magnesium set or it can be calcium set and you can check that on the ingredient list so the tofu will absorb that calcium into oh, cool. there yeah so you can get it from there you can get it from leafy greens nuts and seeds um particularly like almonds and sesame seeds um so there's plenty of opportunity to Mm. get enough calcium into into your diet for sure i've always seen that idea or that um that tip of hey get calcium set tofu if you can and i've never quite figured out how to, (laughs) to to work that out and often well in the past actually i used to buy a lot of um uh like raw like made that day tofu from like a local asian shop mm-hmm. and so i had no idea like i could try and ask them i guess how they how they produced it uh but generally most people are buying you know from a packet from the supermarket these yeah. days um so on the back will it actually state how it's set yeah in in brackets next to like put towards the end of the ingredient list it'll normally say like magnesium or it will say um calcium if not um there's like a, a number like usually starting with a five and you can look that up oh okay um i can't remember at the top of my head you know which number is which yeah. um but from from memory the evergreen brand are all calcium set right tofu and they have a, a wide range you know varying from silken all the way up to extra firm okay. so it's pretty good so that brand is all calcium set cool. yeah i don't yeah. think we have that one in new zealand actually um i'll have to, I'll have to go and have a look at the yeah. ones we do have and see which ones are calcium set or not uh, but i think that's a great one is like yeah you can easily get it from your tofu if it's calcium set your plant milks mm-hmm. you mentioned was it nuts and seeds yeah decent one leafy greens yeah. They decent for but calcium or so much? Broccoli and bok choy oh, yeah. in particular have a good amount of calcium in, t- in there. Um, and maybe like your spinach, maybe not as a reliable mm. source, but definitely broccoli and, yeah. and bok choy are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And when it, and I guess circling back to like bone health, I think, it, I think another key idea there is that there is this kind of interplay between calcium and vitamin D for bone health as well mm-hmm. um i think you know a lot of people are fixated on the calcium being the primary i guess nutrient of concern mm-hmm. for bone health but i think you know the it is mediated by 
uh, vitamin D status as well, from absolutely. my understanding. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read the same things. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think vitamin D is another another key nutrient there that you know without it, you know, you're going to be in a bad place um, mm-hmm. from many many different standpoints especially from the immune system and, and things like that so what are your recommendations for vitamin d and and that's generally one that's probably not really something we can achieve through our diet mm. yeah vitamin d is a little bit of a tricky one particularly if you're living in a climate where it's not so sunny all the time because um, we can obviously as we know get some vitamin d from the sun um, but a good way is again fortified products um, so some of the, the plant milks might have them in there some of the plant yogurts as well some of the, the veggie burgers and stuff that the manufacturers add it and some like of the vegan butters like the nut alexas and things the manufacturers will put vitamin d into there but otherwise if you're not consuming those foods on a regular basis it is a good idea to supplement mm. it is one of those ones where you, you can become deficient um, and it can impact your health long term if you're not on top of that so i would recommend supplementation if you can't be getting those foods all the time there is a little tip around putting mushrooms out in the sun i don't know if you've heard of that one before but um if you leave them in the sun for 15 minutes they actually can soak up some of the vitamin d and then when you cook them obviously you're absorbing that um yeah but you know that not everyone can do that every single day it's not exactly that that practical yeah but it, it can help um, yeah. That's for sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think, I guess for people who are in climates where the sun is not always shining, yes. um, which, you know, is most people during the winter and then a lot of people even during their like summer, summer months, it's not, you know, super sunny. Um, you, you can achieve your vitamin D daily intake quite easily through sun exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key there is that you have to have a decent amount of your skin actually exposed to mm-hmm. the sun without sunblock yeah um so you know it's a bit of a tricky one because you want to be wary of you know the the damage that sun can do to your skin but at the same time it's a great way to get that um that vitamin d absorption um so you know kind of being aware of your own burn times yeah and going okay cool well i can usually do you know 10 minutes in the sun before i start burning great maybe you can do that with you know 20 percent of your 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 skin exposed to the sun, Mm -hmm. get that vitamin D absorption and then either put some clothing on, cover up or put your sunblock on after that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So I think that's a great way to go. Yeah. Um, So generally like with a lot of my clients, I'm like, look in the summer, if you're getting out every day, like don't worry about your vitamin D supplementation, you're probably fine. Mm -hmm. But for most people in the winter, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, for Mm. sure. And what I found was I think um, during the lockdowns here in Melbourne, as you know, we're in lockdown for a very long time. I think every single person in Melbourne was vitamin D deficient. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every single person that was coming through, like your levels have just plummeted. Well, and yeah, yeah it's because we, could, we couldn't get outside yeah. and we couldn't, you know, get the sun that we needed to. So, you know, it's not just vegans who, oh, you know, yeah. have vitamin D deficient. It's like at a population level, it's quite prevalent. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Cool. So what are some of the ones we haven't sort of touched on here? Um, you mentioned some of the other nutrients of focus. Yeah, omega-3 right. is definitely a really important one for heart health, brain health, eye functioning, skin, hair, um, from an anti-inflammatory point of view as well. So, you know, most people have heard that it comes from fish, 
normally but you can get it through plant-based foods you can get it through things like chia seeds flax seeds hemp seeds and walnuts um but again like the absorption rates aren't quite as well as what it would be from fish there's different types of omega-3 fatty acids and they need to be converted into a more well absorbed form so i guess the key with omega-3 is consistency right so you want to be trying to have one of those key foods that i just mentioned every day Mm -hmm. if you can and a decent serve size so either like a good handful of walnuts or about two tablespoons of those seed mixes and if you can't that's where you'd be looking at like a plant-based supplement like an algae based one where you'd you'd take sort of a one to two a day yeah yeah so do you feel that you know having those kind of serving sizes of either the walnuts or the seeds um, options would be sufficient for people to attain those kind of omega-3 levels and we're talking here about the conversion of the plant form of omega-3 ALA mm. into EPA and DHA. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, do you think that it, that is sufficient to, to I think if people are consistent with it, and I mean like consistent, like not actually skipping days with it, then then yes. But if you're the kind of person who's only doing it like twice a week, yeah. then no, you're going to need to supplement. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that conversion is just not going to happen. Yeah. I've heard the conversion rate is like 5% or something. Yeah. It's very, very low. It's very low. Yeah. yeah. So having like decently high doses, dosages of those seeds or, or walnuts mm-hmm. is, is quite helpful. Um, I've also noted that, you know, again, with clients that I've had in fat loss phases when calories are getting lower, yeah. struggling to just achieve those levels because, you know, seeds and nuts generally are quite calorically dense. Yeah. So in those situations, it's quite easy for us to just supplement. Yep. Um, but most people who are, you know, kind of eating, again, like for this particular podcast and we're focusing on people who are wanting to eat a diet that is uh, nutritionally adequate, really, really dense and, and all of the, the key nutrients of focus that we're talking about, then, yeah, trying to get in a couple of tablespoons of seeds per day, some walnuts, it's not really a big, a, a hard task. Not at all. But just finding... Uh, maybe a meal where you can be most consistent and I find for a lot of clients it's like breakfast it's like Mm. well they might be having oats or a smoothie great you can easily chuck two tablespoons of you know flat ground flax or chia Mm -hmm. or hemp into those and and you're done every day took it off yep yeah, absolutely. I, I love smoothies for that very reason. I think it's really easy to just add your chia seeds and, and your flax into that, as is like oats, overnight oats, that sort of thing. And if not, you can just pick up a good handful of, of walnuts and, and be on your way. Use yeah. that as a snack. So it's, it's not difficult, but you're definitely right about like when people are on lower calorie amounts in the in a fat loss phase, it, it, they're very dense foods yeah. at the end of the day. So, you know, a supplement in that situation absolutely makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Cool. So omega-3, I think that's, that's another really really key focus uh nutrient of focus there um any of those other ones that you think are important for people to actually consider because we you know we hear people talk about selenium Mm -hmm. iodine um zinc how important do you feel these ones are i feel that all of them are, are very important um and particularly selenium because it's not as well talked about and i guess like you don't really well, you can get it, but you don't hear about selenium supplementation as much. And it's something that's, that's very easy to do. All you need to do is have two Brazil nuts a day. It has 100% of your selenium requirements. And selenium is an important mineral for, for thyroid health, essentially, and, right. and for like um, DNA health and, and replication. Um, so it's also really hard to test for. It's not something that's normally put on a blood test. So you're not going to know if you are deficient in selenium, whereas 
iron and zinc you can test on a standard blood test and you can say okay well i'm deficient like i can temporarily supplement to get my levels back up but with selenium and um as well as omega-3 and iodine it they're not part of the normal testing regimen so it's quite difficult interesting so so can you ask to have that test or is it just not something they actually know how to test or you can have your iodine tested it's a actually a urinary test like yeah. a urinary iodine you can um omega-3 i believe you can buy like a testing kit online but i personally don't know how like valid that they are yeah. like i don't know if they're from like other countries or overseas but i i personally i don't know if you've come across like a selenium test no no i mean i just assume that maybe you would I actually haven't thought about it in regards to like whether you would find that on a normal. You'd have to you'd have to request it on a normal blood test. But even then, maybe it's something you can't request. Yeah. It's not something I actually know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I've never seen a situation where I've seen an omega three test in Australia. I've seen it done through a testing kit in the US. That, yeah, that was the only time that I've actually physically seen it. But happy to hear suggestions from yeah, anyone else yeah, if, if they sure. if they know about testing around that. But um, I think that's why it's important to be on top of it yeah. because of that lack of awareness around, okay, am I getting enough or not? Like the, the selenium is really easy, like just pop in two Brazil nuts and that's another one we can just pop into the smoothie every single morning if right. you don't like eating or put, yeah. like put it a part of the walnuts that you were having. So that's a pretty simple one, I would say. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, and so would there be like physical symptoms of a deficiency from selenium? You might, I think that the symptoms overlap a lot with like, you know, your iron and your zinc around your fatigue, but your, your thyroid hormones might be a little bit out of your reference ranges as well because of its role with, with thyroid health. Right. Um, so that's why, again, it, it's hard to know because of there's such an overlap between iron, zinc, selenium. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to know where it's yeah. coming from really. And this is another, like, it's actually leading on to like iodine is, is another, was, another one of those ones that I'm, I'm pretty sure is... Um, in relation to thyroid health mm, absolutely also yeah. right yeah um and they actually started putting iodine in the population's table salt i don't know what date they did that and i can't remember which countries did it but i think it was like the uk and europe and i know they do it in new zealand probably australia as well yeah they do yeah um because populations were deficient in iodine um, and it's obviously an essential nutrient. So it's relatively easy to get, but what would be your recommendations to to um, achieve you know, sufficient iodine? Would it be supplementation? Would it be a certain amount of table salt? Would it be some other kind of products? Yeah, I, I just usually say the simple swap of making sure you're having iodized salt. That's one of the, the main things that I recommend. I think a lot of people are having like the pink Himalayan salts um, now. It sort of was like on trend a couple of years ago. Yeah. But then in Australia, I'm not sure if it's the same as New Zealand. It's mandatory for the bread um, or commercial made breads, I should say, to have iodized salt in them. So they oh, are fortified with iodine. Unless you're getting an organic bread. That's the only time it wouldn't have it in there. So if you are consuming like a couple pieces of bread a day, plus you're using your iodized salt in your cooking, you're likely to get a, a decent amount yeah. um, into your diet. Yeah. And what would you say to, you know, people listening who are wanting to, you know, reduce their, their sodium intake? So reducing mm -hmm. their salt intake on a daily basis. And yet we're, we're, you know, we're suggesting, hey, use some iodized table salt. 
Yeah, um, that might be a good time to look into like a bit of a, a vegan multivitamin then to see if there is iodine in, in the multivitamin itself because other foods sort of rich in iodine are also rich in salt too, like your seaweed and that sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously, it's got a high sodium content too. So if there's the issue of hypertension or high blood pressure, that's where the, the multivitamin com- might come in useful. Do you feel that most people you work with need to be watching their salt intake? I would say... The majority of people I work with have a pretty good diet. Like they're, they're pretty healthy at, at the moment, maybe mm-hmm. not when they, they first started out. So uh, a moderate amount is okay for them to be consuming. But then I suppose if there is anyone who's coming to see me with hypertension um, on top of whatever other goals that they're wanting to work on, that's when you'd be looking at your supplementation route because we're not wanting to rely on just salt. So people with high blood pressure and and kind of the link to higher sodium intakes. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think probably one thing to make clear is that I guess for most people in the Western world, a lot of their sodium is coming from packaged foods Mm -hmm. anyway, right? So it's a case of, well, you could probably get away with adding that iodized table salt to your meals um, if you were consuming far less of packaged food varieties you know because you're reducing your sodium intake drastically by doing that mm-hmm. sodium is an essential you know part of human health we yeah. do need it yeah um but in the the levels that we do consume it is generally in relation to just you know overconsumption of processed foods yeah. so if we can reduce that to some extent include more whole foods and then add a bit of iodized salt you're kind of you know getting your iodine you're reducing your processed foods um you're achieving somewhat more of that balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is important to acknowledge that there is trace amounts in some fruits and vegetables, like for example, potatoes, but being in our, in Australia, our soil quality is quite poor. It's quite barren of nutrients. So sometimes mm. we're not getting as much iodine as what it might be saying that's that's in like the potato, for example. So it, again, that comes down to like that variety too. If you're having a wide variety of foods, you're likely going to hit the majority of these nutrients. That's mm. why like diversity is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's dive into that. So with diversity, we're talking about number of different foods you would eat in a certain period of time. Is that mm. correct? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you can uh, put it down to different sort of colors, um, food groups, types of food. Um, a general really good recommendation is 30 different plant foods a week. Mm. Um, there was a study done by the American Gut Association and they found that those who were consuming 30 plants or more a week had a really great healthy gut microbiome. And we know from you know all the research and studies that have come out the importance of the, the gut microbiome on not just our overall health, but also weight, um, chronic disease management and, and mental health as well. So if we're getting that good diversity and, and um, hitting that quota um, every single week, you, you're just going to be automatically doing yourself a favor yeah so lots of different plants lots of different colors yeah um and that's going to really help you know boost those those healthy gut bugs that we're we know are, are really beneficial for many different health outcomes yeah and it, it's 30 sounds like a lot but at the end of the day it, it's not that hard like if you're someone who eats strawberries if you swap to mixed berries you're already boosting it by four yeah that's four an extra four plants if you're um, someone who is only eating like almonds and then you do like a, a mixed seed, you're boosting it by another four. So it is quite easy yeah. to do. It's actually not like something that you overly have to think about too much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you posted on your Instagram recently around uh, like a 30 plant challenge. Yeah, or, that's right. Yeah, and, and I think you actually posted like some of your daily checks for that as well. 
and I think it was like one day you already hit like 20 something number of plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that first day. It was really interesting. So that first day, I thought it was around like the 15, 16. Then I noticed myself by the week that was going through, like as it dwindled on, like it was getting less and less because you can't tick off a food that you've already eaten. That's the whole idea of the challenge. Like if you've already had cauliflower on Monday, you can't tick it off again, right? right? So by like sort of Saturday, yeah, yeah, I was like, well, I'm only getting like one or two here. So even with myself, I was like, okay, what, what food can I have that I don't? normally consume what grain can i try to like boost the diversity it was good like even like a little mental exercise just to do like oh you know i haven't maybe had quinoa this week let's like try and have that instead of having like you know a rice based dish or something to that nature so it's it's good it makes you try new things and um i think it's a really helpful little little full checklist yeah that's awesome and i've heard um her name's just uh i've just lost her name but I think it's a it's an American researcher in um, gut health. She wrote a really good book recently. I can't remember her name. Anyways, um, oh, Dr. Megan Rossi. Oh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. 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 So she, she talks about yeah diversity and and the the you know number of plants you consume in a week and some of those great tips you mentioned around like you know if you're having like maybe you usually pick like frozen broccoli. Well, what if you pick like frozen broccoli with carrots and beans in it as well? Like yeah. you know, so those simple tricks. But um, you know, she mentioned, I think she has like the, the big six or whatever she calls it, where it's another kind of thing to tick off where it's like, hey, well, we need to tick off each day. It's it's something like, you know, whole grains, legumes, fruits, you know, different, you know, so big items you need to tick off on a daily basis. Do you have a similar thing that you do with, with clients in regards to like, hey, we want to achieve some kind of balance within a day how do we actually do this? Like what's the practical steps? Cause it's all, it's all well and good for, you know, listeners to listen to this and go, okay, cool. I need to get my iron, I need to get my calcium. Mm-hmm. These are the foods I can include, but they'll probably forget it by the end of this podcast. Yeah. What are some simple steps they can actually use to like build their meals on a day to day basis, knowing that if they build it like this, they're probably without thinking too hard, they're probably going to be able to hit most of those um, nutrients of, of focus and, you know, maybe this is the kind of education that, you know, some of these names who have decided to go back to animal products could have utilized. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely do a bit of a, a vegan nutrient checklist with my clients where I give them a bit of a list about the, the nutrients that we sort of spoke about and like the little tasks that they can do around the omega-3s and the brazil nuts and that sort of thing. But then I also have like around my little healthy plate model, like how to build the meals from the, from the bottom up. So what are some good grains to be incorporated that maybe have a bit of a higher protein content, a bit of a higher iron content in there as well. So starting off with that, then we've got like a, a vegetable side of things as well like you know what's the diversity of three colors is that a good goal for someone is that a bit too hard is is two enough i'll try to pick at least two different colors that would be a a really good starting point if you can get four amazing not everyone can do that um and then sort of around your proteins like maybe picking one to two different protein sources so like tofu and beans as opposed to just a huge amount of beans on your meal like you're getting your diversity in from that and then a, a serving of fats as well healthy fats whether that be the oil that you're cooking with or some avocado or nuts or seeds whatever it might be and and i provide my patients or my clients with with those resources and and examples of that um as well so i think that's a really good way and if you're prepping one to two meals a week that follow that structure you're automatically going to hit like 80 to 90 percent of those requirements like if you've done like say like a, a high protein like pasta 
using, let's say, textured vegetable protein, for example, where it's got a good amount of iron and zinc and protein and you're using a protein-based pasta and you've got your veggies, that's a really good one. And then the other one might be like a really nice curry with some beans and some tofu in there. Those two meals alone with cooked with a high dose salt, there you go, um, is is a really good way to hit, I'd say, the, the main percentage of, of your nutrient requirements and you don't yeah. have to think too much about it. Yeah. So it's providing like it's it's focusing on some real simple structured based eating. So when you cook a meal, don't just cook for the sake of fueling yourself. Although, you know, sometimes we have to do that. Like like I mentioned to you today, I was like mm. starving after being yeah. on the plane all morning not eating. And they're just running to wherever I could find to like fill the void I was feeling um, just to get some fuel. But there's uh, most of the time we should be focusing on consuming meals that are, are, are well thought out so that they're, they're actually achieving some kind of these, um, ticking some of these boxes. And even for myself when I'm traveling like I am right now, um, like today I've, I've really had very little nutrients um, just because I've been grabbing stuff on the go. But I had that in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, well, maybe when I go and grab some dinner tonight, I'm going to try and find a place where I can where I can stack up the mm-hmm. veggies that I haven't consumed today already and kind of tick some of those boxes. And I do a similar thing to yourself. I have a bit of a checklist for clients to, to work through each day. And, you know, with myself, I don't physically do a checklist, you know, on paper or on a spreadsheet with myself, but I kind of have it in the back of my mind as I go through my day have I ticked off my leafy greens today? Have I had some legumes today? Where did I, did I get my berries in today? Like some of these kind of key food groups that I know are going to be really nutrient, um, really, yeah, dense dense with nutrients, but also dense with um, not just the micronutrients side of things, but like those phytonutrients that are also going to be really, really beneficial for, you know, um, prevention of, you know, chronic disease and, and increasing longevity and, and all these good things we can get from a lot of these phytonutrients and plants as well. Um, but it is coming back to like having structure and mm. planning, like yep. really actually spending time in your week to go, okay, I need to plan these meals. And that really is like the biggest thing for most of my clients is like plan, prep your meals, prep your meals, prep your meals. Because without it, it's very, very hard for them to hit their goals. But when they do it, every week goes relatively smoothly. Um, and it's just a case of actually setting that time aside and amongst a busy, you know, Western world situation where time is, is you know, usually a bit of a struggle, hey? Yeah, absolutely. We're all working, balancing a different number of priorities. It's really hard to go home every single night after a long day and cook up a, a storm, yes. you know, of this perfectly well-balanced meal that's going to tick every single box. So that's where I absolutely agree with you that prepping can come in so handy. And for me, it's been a lifesaver, you know, particularly last year I was working like quite late in, in clinics. And um, if I had to come home at nine o'clock and have to cook, it just wouldn't happen i would go for takeaway yeah. it would just it you know physically i wasn't Absolutely. even had the energy to do it so That's coming right. home and having a prep meal that i had made a, a few days prior yep. uh, saved saved everything it, yeah. it, it was absolutely perfect and, and what i need and i encourage people to do the same and it doesn't have to be you've got every single meal prep for the next seven days you know meticulously all in containers you can be you've bulked cooked something or even your dinner the night before you've made an extra serving mm-hmm. of that because you know the next day you're going to be super busy and not have time yeah Hundred percent. I think those are all really, really good tips for people. There's one thing I did want to cover with you, Melissa, is um, in regards to like anything that you encourage clients to avoid when it comes to you know trying to achieve a, a balanced um, 
diet like for example should people try to you know consume a certain amount of sugar per day should they be limiting that or maybe it's oils that they should be limiting or um you know when people talk about toxins in certain foods and things like mm. this are there are there any of these things that kind of ring true for you in your practice that you actually encourage people to control in in the um in the in the i guess pursuit of a balanced diet yeah i guess that's a really complex question because it would depend on um if the client had like a um condition like for example irritable bowel there's obviously foods that we need to be avoiding if you've got high cholesterol if there's foods that you need to be avoiding but as a general sort of statement i would definitely be encouraging like a, a sort of reduced sugar intake now i'm not talking about sugar from from fruit like obviously that's fine i'm talking about like added sugar processed sugars um that sort of thing and um i would say like your saturated fats so you know a lot of people think that on a vegan diet you can't get high cholesterol because there's no cholesterol in plant foods but what increases cholesterol is actually saturated fat and one uh, food that is high in saturated fat is coconut so a lot of people sort of have swapped over to coconut oil using a lot of coconut yogurt i would encourage not consuming excess amounts of coconut just because it actually can contribute to increasing cholesterol levels and therefore i wouldn't recommend using coconut oil as well i'd recommend using extra virgin olive oil in, mm. in your cooking um, I'd say those are the main ones outside of if you've got a specific condition that you, you need to be limiting certain foods, like as we said earlier, hypertension and salt and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it's just a case of being aware of a few of those things. Um, but potentially, I think, I think for a lot of people, um, achieving balance, like we kind of alluded to before, is ensuring that there is uh, flexibility Yes. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's no feelings of huge restriction. Mm-hmm. In regards to that, on that same train of thought, what is your approach to kind of balancing whole food versus processed food? And that's a that's a topic that I often co- cover with clients. Um, it's a topic that a lot of people love to debate, especially when we talked about previously around like people in these subsets or camps of of kind of plant based eating who are exclusively whole food plant-based mm. and you know they preach that preach that from the rooftops uh personally i think for majority of people i work with people i know and the way i want to live um it's not conducive to a, a, a great i would say balanced lifestyle from like a social perspective as well like when i look at overall health Yes, like your food and nutrition is a part of it, but also your social life is a part of it. And I make this point when I talk about meal timing as well. You know, ideally, from a metabolic standpoint, it'd be ideal not to consume a large amount of calories in the biological night, like after sundown. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I've been out with friends for dinner and we want ice cream at 9.30. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that's what we're going to do because that's a part of our social life. That's a part of the enjoyment we get out of being together. Um, it's not ideal, but it's not all the time either. So there is kind of that, that ebb and flow of balance there. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, yeah, how do you approach that balance between processed food, whole foods and that whole debate? Yeah. I, I like to approach it with a very simple 80, 20 rule. I think that's a really good place to start off 
with. So that means 80% of the time you're eating your whole foods, you're eating well, and then you're 20% of the time you're allowing, allowing a little bit of indulgence, whether that's on the weekends or you'd like to spread it out throughout the week, however works best for you. Um, but as I guess the balance comes in, like you're not going too over the top with things and at the same time you're actually allowing yourself if, you know, you're running late and, you know, you need to get something quick or, you know, you're socialising with friends, whatever it might be, it, it allows for that flexibility there. And I think that's healthy and that's just part of life. You yeah. can't always be bangs straight on with everything. You can't be 100% perfect with, mm. with what you do. What would be some real simple practical take-homes for people who want to implement this on a daily basis? Maybe they're, maybe they're struggling with balance at the moment. Maybe they've had a blood test and it's not come up you know, amazing. There's certain things that are deficient in. Yeah. Is there kind of like a, a catch-all sort of idea or, or practical thing that they can use? Maybe it's, yeah, coming back to that checklist we talked about or, mm-hmm. or there's something else or how would you kind of summarize all this information to someone maybe um, who, you, you know, ride an elevator with and you're trying to explain to them about <laughs> balance in their diet? Yeah. Oh, I think I would definitely recommend, you know, as we said earlier about prepping the one to two meals of a week that are quite nutrient dense just to help yourself out. So that's a definitely a really good starting point, but also learning what foods fall under which of those nutrients as we discussed. So that comes into that checklist sort of thing. Um, and learning how to label read, I think is, is really important. So, you know, for example, when you're in the milk aisle, like the plant-based milks, and you know, okay, how, is it fortified with calcium? And you're able to quickly look at it. It's going to save you time. You don't have to scour through brand after brand after brand and just having like your one key brand that you sort of go towards each time. So if you're learning like how to label read, you'll know, is it fortified with calcium? Has it got um, zinc? Has it got iron in it? That's going to save you a, a lot of time too. Um, so I think, I guess, meal prep, label reading, and having a bit of a checklist happening, that's going to get you pretty far i would say Best and one. then if, if you're not if you're still struggling that would be a pretty good time to see a dietitian or someone like a nutrition coach or something um just for them to review your diet see if there's anything that you might be missing um and you know that can provide you with, with the recommendations there what at a personal level you might need to be doing yeah no that's really cool yeah i think that is that is the point where you go hey look maybe i maybe i invest in some professional help here someone like yourself who is you know following that lifestyle already you're plant-based um, and you've been doing it for a long time. You're obviously healthy. Um, you know you're working out. You're doing all those things that are mm-hmm. you know you're in a in a really good place. Um, following that kind of balanced lifestyle, and you've also got the credentials there to yeah. ensure that you can help people. And I think that's a big one is actually ensuring that people are qualified as well <laughs> to help you. You know, um, anyone can read a book and kind of yeah. you know, regurgitate the information. But when it's coming to like nutrition, um, and like you said, working with you know different gut health issues, IBS, mm-hmm. um, woman's health, like a lot of those things that you do work with, I think you know, you definitely got to have someone who's got those credentials there. Yeah, absolutely, because then you're adding on another layer of complexity there, like, you know, irritable bowel, you've got the, the subset of the FODMAP diet that involves cutting out a lot of plants. Yeah. And, you know, if you're already vegan, it is quite difficult to do. So you, if you're in that sort of situation, you definitely need some professional help there. And it's a little bit hard. But if you're just like general and you're feeling quite healthy and quite good, I think those tips would be quite adequate for yeah. you. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to do another one and get you to talk about gut health. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's one we haven't dived into um, in any great detail on the podcast yet. But um that's something you, you do work a lot with clients on is, is their gut health? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my um, interest areas, I should I would say. Um, I guess it stems from my own experience with irritable bowel and um, yeah, 
quite a horrible experience at that where you know I lost a lot of weight and couldn't eat anything so that drives me to want to be able to help people to figure out you know what they can and can't have Uh, so I had to do extra accreditation to you know do the FODMAP course and um, yeah things like that so I I really enjoy it I think it's it's really good it's a very rewarding space to work in because you see that progress quite quickly which is wonderful yeah and and now do you mind me asking how your diet looks now is that something you have to focus on in terms of you know your gut health now um at the moment i've like pretty much worked out like what i can and can't have and i know how to moderate it and i don't again i don't restrict it as well like if in a restaurant there's like a high fodmap food that i know i'm going to react to sometimes i just i just have it and you know it just suffers suffer the consequences later i suppose but i'm able to make that decision now whereas before i didn't know I didn't end up with that confusion was so overwhelming. Like, why is this happening? You know, why am I in so much pain all the time? But now I'm able to like be more in control of it and say, oh, you know, I'm going to have some cauliflower. I'm going to be in a bit of pain later, but you know, it's in this meal. I'm just, I'm just going to consume it. So I don't really have to think about things too much anymore. Um, I would say the, the only other thing I consider is like with my exercise regimen and things, I do have to prioritize protein a little bit more than what I was previously. Um, but again, I'm, I'm sort of used to that at this point in time and, and I know like when to have it and how much to have. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So it's just that knowledge eh? and, and having someone like yourself would be quite helpful for people to work through those particular issues with because, you know, you've got the, the experience yourself anecdotal experience but you've also got the the training there to actually help them get through it so that's cool and get to a point like you are where you can make those decisions on the go as to what you will eat how much of what you will eat you because you know your triggers and things like that Mm. yeah i think that's the most important part so yeah for me it's it's not something i have to think too hard about which is great yeah cool well before we kind of wrap up here mel is there anything that you know we haven't covered in regards to like achieving a a balanced or a healthy diet as a vegan that you'd like to touch on? No, I, I think we've pretty much covered everything. It's been, you know, quite a, a, a good talk about, you know, all the major tips that we can sort of be integrating into the diet. I think I think mm. you've, we've covered most of it. Yeah, yeah, choice. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, um, you know, what's on the cards for you for 2023? Have you got anything going on? Like, um, you know, are you are you working in clinic online? Is there anything you know you want to let the listeners know of what you're getting up to? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm seeing clients both face to face and online through telehealth consults. So it can consult Australia wide. So I'm continuing to see clients in that space. Um, can um, thinking in the process of you know sort of developing a recipe book at the moment, whether that's just general vegan or uh, like gut health sort of related. I haven't quite decided yet, but it's definitely in the works, cool. which is really exciting. Um, and then I guess from, from a personal perspective, I'm, I'm training for a marathon at the moment. Whoa. So that's taking up a lot of my time. Um, so it's been a bit of a change to my normal routine. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty good. And so far, so good. At the that's moment. awesome. How far are you through? Um, I can run 30 k at what? the moment. You're quite the way through. <laughs> <laughs> but um, didn't pull up too well after it um feet were a bit sore yeah so you know it, it's not till october which is good i've got, oh, got i've got of plenty time. of time which but you've is already done nice. 30 yeah i did 30 wow. about oh, a few weeks ago wow yeah wow i hope you're gonna like taper back from that now and then yeah, yeah. just to, like try to maintain for a bit my, okay. my concern i'm going away in the middle of the year so hopefully i can uh, maintain some sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. fitness level during that point and then get back 
back into it again. That's why I'm trying to do everything now. Yeah, and good. And then because I know I'll have a bit of a decline June, July sort of period. And is it is it the Melbourne? Yeah, the Melbourne Marathon. marathon. Cool. And yeah. have you done any long running events in the past? I've done halves. Cool. And I've signed up for a half in May, the Great Ocean Road Half. Oh, cool. Brooks Half Marathon. So apparently that's meant to be a really beautiful course. So I'm looking forward sure to that. Be, yeah. Um, but n- no other official races so i'm a little bit nervous cool what is it about running that that you love um i i really like the sense of accomplishment that it gives me and for me um it's it's very calming uh Mm. once you hit a certain kilometer not at the start yeah a little bit rocky but (laughs) once you get sort of into it it's kind of like oh your mind is just like blank yeah um and it's very uh i guess um, like relaxing sort of yeah, thing to totally. be doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like I actually did um, a marathon last year and it's kind of one of those things that's like people are like, I don't know how you run so far. And I'm like, or like enjoy running. And I'm like, no one really enjoys running when they start. Yeah. You know, because you're not fit enough to enjoy it. You know, you're just suffering the whole time. But once you get to a point where it's like, you know, a lot of the, the training runs for marathons are quite easy runs, you know, like slower paces mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like doing the kilometers you can kind of just cruise and enjoy it and, and, you know, like you said, just relax and yeah. let your mind go. Um, but, yeah, those first few kilometers are always <laughs> always a little bit creaky and you're trying yeah. to get into the groove. And then once you're in that groove, it's kind of it's smooth, hey? Yeah, exactly. And it's like you said, you're not sprinting it. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you're doing it at a pretty cruisy yeah, pace totally. to begin with, yeah. especially when you're starting out. So That's right. So as if you're, like, dying at every second, it does yeah. get enjoyable at a point, which might be – you know, weird for some people to hear, but it actually isn't as, as bad as you would yeah. think it would be. Yeah, I remember, you know, listening to some guys talk about, you know, running your first marathon and, and it was always the case of um, coming back to like, the goal is already big enough of actually finishing 42.2 kilometers. Mm. That's a big enough goal already without having to put this other like qualification on, like you have to run it this fast. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, just run it. Like yeah. however fast you want to run it, just run it and enjoy it and tick it off, you know? And that's what I did is like, I didn't run it fast, but I got it done yeah. and it was a mammoth effort. And, uh, you know, um, props to you for giving it a go. Oh, it's massive. No, that's amazing that you've accomplished one as well. Yeah, yeah It was incredible. actually canceled twice. <laughs> and um, the second time it was canceled, we just went and did it anyway. We just ran the oh, course. Right. Yeah, because there was no one there. But <laughs> we were just running it, and which was cool because, of, of course, you know, you're doing it under your own esteem. Yeah. A little bit harder because you don't have the whole hype around the whole event. Um, but I had a great support crew that were, you know, parked at different spots, handing me drinks and lollies oh, and stuff amazing. to get me through. But um, it's definitely one of those things that like once you get a, a course, you know, in the whole atmosphere, yeah. I think it really enhances the experience as well. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What else are you doing for training? Is it just the running at the moment? Running and gym and swimming. I'm trying to put a bit of Pilates into there too. Um, but you know All the things. All the things. Just a bit of cross training there. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. That's <laughs> awesome. Oh wow. Well, we'll have to keep a lookout for this uh recipe book. Those are um always well received by people i think they're always looking for new ideas and yeah you know whether you do like generic vegan recipes or go down the gut health route they're both you know do really well i'm sure um do you actually enjoy cooking as well is that it yeah yeah i do i, I quite like cooking i think for a while last year because i was just working too much i sort of lost my mojo with yeah. it and it became just very mechanical meal prep sort of thing 
But now I guess my circumstances have changed. I've got a little bit more time, which is great. And I'm back able to, you know, actually experiment and come up with new ideas. And I always love doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Good on you. Well, to finish up here, Mel, I want to ask just like a final recommendation from you. Now, this doesn't have to be nutrition related at all. Like, you know, um, doesn't have to be like some kind of recommendation in regards to like eat this amount of plants, whatever. Mm Anything that you've been digging lately, whether it's a book, a podcast, a TV show, or you know, a certain type of training, whatever, like what's a recommendation for the listeners that they might want to check out themselves? What comes to mind? Speaking of books, actually, I recently joined a book club myself. And a book we're, club? we're reading Atlas of the Heart. Amazing. And I found it very insightful. It's about mapping human emotions. And I actually think that has helped me to understand myself better and also my clients too. Um, so the, the author sort of speaks about, you know, each feeling that we experience and, and how it interlinks with other feelings and, you know, where that sort of stems from. And it, it's a really interesting read. And I'd encourage anyone who's sort of into that sort of thing or wanting to like learn a bit more about the psychology side of things to go check it out. That's amazing. So it's called Atlas of the Heart by Brian Brown, I believe. Oh, yes. Yeah. She, she's really famous author she's the one who's done a lot of work on um uh vulnerability yeah yeah that's right and yes. i think she had a really successful ted talk yes as well that's yes. been watched a lot of oh, times cool. yeah so how does a book club work well this is my first time and we've only had <laughs> two one or two meetings so, so far you, like meet in person yeah like, we met in person yeah cause it's because um i used to be good at reading where well, i used to read a lot and then i've just haven't read in years and I need something to keep me accountable. Otherwise yeah, I won't cool. do it. Good on you. So, so I've got a group so of people. So they set you like homework. They're like, you have to read this chapter by the next, or like yeah. this amount of chapters by yeah, the next meeting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, like read to the end of chapter 12 or whatever, but then wow. the next meeting and we'll just talk about what you thought of the book that's after. So cool. They do have that. questions, but you can you can go off topic. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah. formal or yeah, anything. That's cool. It's pretty chill. I love that though, because it's just a, like for a lot of people who, like I do enjoy reading, but I, I, because I want to attain so much knowledge, I read a lot of nonfiction, yeah. which is very like dry to read. It's not like a, a good fiction where you just want to pick it yeah. up and get to the next chapter. So you kind of have to force yourself to do it. And so it's interesting that with this book club, you're actually doing nonfiction. Yeah, I was um, surprised too. Yeah, which yeah. is really cool. And you know, you get a lot of insight, like you said, into your own life with a lot of those kind of more self-helpy ones or like psychology ones. Um, but I guess the other massive benefit to this book club is that like it's – like kind of tying this back into like just health in general it's community right Mm -hmm. it's like finding people to interact with and meet with and do life with and share and be vulnerable which you know if you look at some of the you know the key i guess aspects cornerstones of health yeah there's your diet huge importance there's your exercise huge importance but there's your community as well right which is incredibly important absolutely Um, so that's just another way you can interact with people like especially in a in a big city like melbourne it's like it's Mm. hard to do you know you you know you're usually um in your own world most of the time yeah absolutely it's definitely a good way to connect with people and you've got the the benefit you're talking about that one sort of thing you got something to refer back to which is nice as well and yeah absolutely right like health isn't just about what you eat it's also that social and emotional aspect of it too yeah. so not nurturing and nourishing that is super important yeah 100 percent. yeah well great way to finish there mel thank you so much for coming here to film with me thanks so much for having me yeah it's been a pleasure i really enjoyed it um always enjoy the in-person conversations they flow a lot better and 
um, they're just way more enjoyable. So thanks for hanging out. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been great. All right, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. Great episode there about achieving balance. Hopefully, you can take some of those tips and actually apply them to your diet, to your family's diet, to your friend's diet. If you love the episode, definitely share it around and let Melissa know as well. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. Just a few more things before I finish up here. There's a couple more fantastic episodes coming your way for this season, so I can't wait to get those out to you. But in the meantime, I've actually re-released my Five Pillars of Body Composition mini course now titled the vegan fitness mini course how to build muscle lose fat and eat healthy as a vegan this mini course is designed for those who have a physique goal but just haven't quite figured out how to put all the puzzle pieces together just yet in the course we cover presentation one why calories matter and how to calculate yours for both fat loss and for muscle gain Second presentation is all about why we need protein for body composition change, what plants to focus on, and how much you actually need. In presentation three, we run through how to grow muscle step by step and stop relying on subpar classes or average programming. We dive into detailed training protocols to optimize muscle growth, how much to train, how to progress, when to take a break, and how to actually measure your progress. In the fourth installment, how to set up your eating patterns so that you optimize health while optimizing your physique. And lastly, we do cover supplements, what you need for performance and what you need for health and what you need to throw away. So that's the Vegan Fitness Mini Course. I'll chuck a link in the description if you want to check that one out. I'm putting this one up at a super low price, just under $12. You can grab it, five in-depth presentations plus a whole bunch of extra further resources you can dive into podcasts articles things like that you're gonna absolutely love it it'll give you a bunch of information and i hope you really i hope it will you know hopefully will really set you up for future success with your muscle gain goals fat loss goals and of course longevity as a vegan okay let's call it there if you're still with me awesome i love you that's enough selling we'll catch you in the next one